Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Okay, let's go ahead and get started. Hello, folks, and happy, happy midweek, happy Wednesday to you all, the first day of the resistance against the Biden administration, or should I say the incoming Harris administration, as soon as she wheels him off to the uh, the nearest memory unit in Washington, D.C. This is the Miller Frost Show. I am your host, Miller Frost, and I am here, as always, with my fake black friend, white boy Malcolm X. And was that better for you, sir? Much better. Okay, good, good. <laughs> Sorry, folks. White boy Malcolm X told me I sounded like a mortician at a funeral opening up Sunday's podcast. And I have to agree with him because <laughs> I listened to it. and I was like, ah, crap. I did sound kind of down in the dumps. I guess I was depressed over this being the last week or half week of the Trump administration. And before I get started on anything else, we wished... Betty White, a 99th, a happy 99th birthday on Sunday. And we are a day late, but not a dollar short. Dolly Parton, White Boy Malcolm X, did you know that she turned 75 years young, as they like to say, yesterday, on Tuesday? Well, I didn't know that either. But happy birthday, Dolly Parton. We love you here on the Miller Frost Show. So two gay icons, not one White Boy Malcolm X, but two gay icons, they had their birthdays this week, so all we need is share Madonna and, <laughs> and uh, God knows who else, and we are good to go. And also, folks, before I get started with our very first story, and yes, White Boy Malcolm X, gay is at the front, Smoking Gun is our last story of the day, but I don't is it in Florida? Sorry, folks, I got to cheat real quick. Um, no, it's not in Florida, but a close fifth, I think it is in North Dakota, those folks in North Dakota, man, they are trying to get in on Florida's action, but they are not going to do it because I love my folks in Florida and they are never, ever, ever going to let me down for showing everyone else in the country how to do crazy the right way. But anyway, one quick correction. I had a complete brain fart on Sunday's podcast and I was talking about, we were talking about the alleged gay chicken hawk, Alex Morse, who is the mayor of the delightful little town of Holyoke, Massachusetts. And I completely brain farted on where Holyoke was. I accused it of being between Northampton and uh, Amherst. And it's not. That is Hadley, Massachusetts, is between Northampton and Amherst. I, when I came out of my mouth, I was like, I think that's wrong, but I'm not going to stop the podcast and look it up. I just rolled with it and I was wrong. Hadley... It's between those two, and Holyoke is kind of on the way down south towards Chicopee in that area. And it's still a lovely, delightful little town run by a millennial queen who is a alleged, alleged gay chicken hawk who loves, loves looking up those boys on the University of Massachusetts Amherst campus on his grinder app. Allegedly. We're not going there. Let's go ahead and jump 
jump right in, and this is from Queerty. And how is this for a headline? Popular YouTuber Chris Stuckman comes out, reveals harrowing past with Jehovah's Witnesses. And I don't know about you, white boy Malcolm X, but I have no idea who Chris Stuckman is or what he does on YouTube. One can only imagine. Do you know who he is? Okay. (laughs) And you know, folks, I'm just too damn lazy right now to look it up. And I'm not going to ask my friend on the other side of the room because I know he won't. Stuckman, who usually posts... Oh, he does film reviews. (laughs) Never mind, folks. Never mind. Stuckman, who usually posts film reviews to his audience of nearly 2 million subscribers. Damn. Used his latest upload to share his history as a former Jehovah's Witness. Towards the end of the lengthy video, titled How I Left the Jehovah's Witnesses to Pursue Filmmaking, he reveals... Oh, God. I can't believe I'm starting off the program with this crap. He reveals, I am pansexual. And folks, if you don't know what pansexual is, it's just a snooty way of saying bisexual. Stuckman's wife, Sam Liz, was immediately accepting when he came out. <laughs> I would be like, uh, okay then. Yeah, thanks for, um, thanks for tricking me into marriage. And now I find out you want to do everyone because you're a snooty bisexual. You're a pansexual, but uh, she's, she's cool with it, I guess. When I first told my wife about it, she was welcome, he explained. She is demi-pan. You people need to quit. I am dead serious. Stop it. Stop it with these... St- now i got to look up what... I don't even know what the hell a demi-pan is. And so she was actually very excited. If anything, this has made our relationship even better and more open. Well, I bet it's more open. If you're into anything and everyone, and she's whatever the hell demi-pan is, never mind, here it is. Demisexual means someone who is unable to feel attracted to another person without forming a significant emotional bond. Speaking about Jehovah's Witnesses, Stuckman referred to White Boy Malcolm X. Let me get this right. Chris and Sam get married and happily ever after. And then he has a revelation that he is a snooty bisexual. So he wants to, I guess, diddle with the men or the the whatever else. I mean, there are folks, let's, let's face it, there are seven genders. So he wants to do the men, the questioning, the, I don't know, the unisexual, the the trisexual, whatever the hell else on that list I keep forgetting to to retrieve. And she's like, oh, great. Well, I'm Demi-Pan. Boom, that works for everyone. So those two are just all sorts of interesting. Speaking about Jehovah's Witnesses, Stuckman referred to the fringe Christian denomination as a cult, alleging that for years they made him repress his sexuality and leave his passion for filmmaking. Viewers flooded the comment section with overwhelming support, I bet they did, to which Stuckman replied, Thank you all so much. The outreach since the interview went up has been overwhelming and has helped me heal. I can't tell you how much it means to me that you've understood. I was anxious about discussing these things, but I'm so happy to learn that many XJWs watch the channel, and I truly hope this video reminds you that you're not alone. Anyone out there afraid to come out about something, I see you. I support you. Thanks so much, everyone. And that is that from Queerty. And now I'm disappointed, White Boy Malcolm X, because I was actually, and I was only thinking of doing this to get out of celebrating holidays, but I was thinking of converting to being a Jehovah's Witness. But it sounds like they are not the place for me. I just, folks, I... 
I don't even celebrate my birthday. I could care less about about Christmas, about New Year's, about Thanksgiving. <laughs> the only thing I like about Thanksgiving, it's a four-day weekend. Easter, I don't, whatever. All these holidays, Martin Luther King, no offense to Martin Luther King, <laughs> some pansy liberal going, oh, well, you're a racist if you don't like Martin Luther King Day. I just don't like celebrating holidays. It's just not a big deal to me. And so I was thinking, oh, Jehovah's Witness is perfect. Because then when Mama Frost is like, well, we can go to Christmas Mass together. I can be like, Mama Frost, I am a, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. I don't celebrate these things. I'm sorry. And I don't have to get anyone presents. They don't have to get me presents. It's all good. But now I, I got to rethink that that plan, White Boy Malcolm X. Okay, so Chris Stuckman is a pansexual and his wife is a demi-pan. And may they live happily ever after. Not judging that. I always say, as long as you're not hurting kids or animals, I could care less. This is from The Sun. And I cannot believe I have to talk about this stupid chick. How's this headline? Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina-scented candle explodes into flames, causing an inferno in a woman's living room. And white boy Malcolm X, her candle is actually called This Smells Like My Vagina. (laughs) So... Which a lot of women don't know where that is anyway. But if you um, if you have a thing for wanting to know what Gwyneth Paltrow's middle-aged vagina smells like, you can apparently buy a candle that smells just like it. Ugh. Jody Thompson, 50, won the risque product sold by the Hollywood star and wellness guru in an online quiz. And folks, if you are using Gwyneth Paltrow as your wellness guru... I am going to totally judge you. You are a fool. Stop it. The candle is described on Gwyneth's Goop site as funny, gorgeous, sexy, and beautifully unexpected and stinking like her vagina. But Jody was taken by surprise after lighting it when a 50-centimeter flame leapt from the candle and out of the glass jar. The media consultant told The Sun, The candle exploded and emitted huge flames with bits flying everywhere. Well, white boy Malcolm X... Do you think that's what Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina does? <laughs> it just like spits flames from it. Oh, God. Yeah, I can totally see that. Holy crap, this is only our second story. This is going to be a dumpster fire of a podcast. I've never seen anything like it. The whole thing was ablaze and it was too hot to touch. Now that does sound like Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina. There was an inferno in the room. Can you imagine being her husband? Jody, who lives with her partner David Snow in Kilburn, North London, said, We eventually got it under control and threw it out the door. <laughs> Sounds like um, Chris What's-His-Name from that stupid rock band. Those two are divorced. It could have burned the place down. It was scary at the time, but funny looking back that Gwyneth's vagina candle exploded in my living room. Gwyneth, 48, launched the 57-pound This Smells Like My Vagina candle last year. It's white boy Malcolm X. I... Totally could have gotten you that for Christmas last year, especially now that I'm not a Jehovah's Witness. The scent now also has a 34-pound roll-on deodorant. (laughs) So if you really want to stink of Gwyneth Paltrow's flaming vagina, you too can get deodorant and the candle and walk around with both. (laughs) I tell you what, I don't know what's worse. The fact that she puts this crap out or that she probably sells, I bet she sells out of that stuff. I know there are a lot of fetishes out there. It's like, oh, oh I want to smell Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina. There you go. 57 pounds, you get that, that vagina there. This is from Red State. And before I even read the headline, 
Like I told you folks on Sunday's podcast, I could do an entire show, an hour, hour and a half, doesn't matter, two hours if I wanted to, with nothing but race-based stories. So here's another one from Red State. Ever had a hard time understanding someone's accent? A professor says you're guilty of linguistic racism. Have you ever had difficulty understanding someone's accent? That is, have you ever been racist? According to a Michigan State University linguistics and education professor, the two are one and the same. Stop being so beastly and start understanding everyone. Per Professor Peter DaCosta, when and if you don't know what someone's saying due to their consonants and vowels, you're guilty of linguistic racism. In a January 6th interview with MSU Today, the professor laid it out. First, a definition courtesy of the college man. Linguistic racism occurs when acts of racism are perpetuated against individuals on the basis of their language use. Victims of such racism are generally speakers of languages like Spanish or Arabic or varieties of a language like African-American vernacular English. Is that like, um, wait, wait, Michael, Michael, you're fake black. Is that like Ebonics? African-American vernacular English? You think so? Okay, I think so too. These languages variations are undervalued and seen as inferior to dominant mainstream languages such as a standard English used predominantly by white affluent members of society. And if you ask me, I think the only people that would say that anyone thinks those language or those variations of languages are undervalued and inferior, it is some nut on a college campus. A deeper dive. These racist acts can be overt or covert in nature. On an overt level, speakers may be openly mocked by others. On a covert level, they may be told that they are unintelligible because they speak with an accent, for example. I hope he's not talking about Hilaria Baldwin, because doesn't she have like a, f- a fake Spanish accent? Is it racist, though, to say, I don't understand what you're saying, Hilaria, because it's a fake accent and it's not a real one? I don't know. We'll have to ask Alex, see what he has to say. Peter says the discussion of such a sin's long been in effect, but the act itself has been kept on a covert level. Amid his offering of information, the instructor served up a novel word. You've no doubt heard the trending term marginalized, a suggestion, so far as I can tell, that something isn't merely in the margin, but forced there by the actions of others. Along the same lines, meet minoritized. Speakers, and this is the uh, that dopey professor Peter DeCasa, speakers of minoritized languages have been told to undergo accent reduction training so they can become intelligible and therefore be understood by others. These offers are masked under the guise of giving speakers friendly advice and framed with the supposedly good intention of helping them advance socially. Peter lamented that some who don't choose English are perniciously perceived as unpatriotic. And xenophobia is alive and well. God, I got another stupid quote by this idiot. A recent example is the false labeling of COVID-19 as the Wuhan virus in public discourse by prominent politicians. This fueled xenophobic resentment towards people of Chinese ethnicity across the globe. In London, for example, a young Singaporean Chinese individual was brutally attacked because of his ethnic association with the virus. DaCosta gave a couple instances of linguistically racist perceptions. Acts of linguistic racism could take the form of comments like, Could you please repeat what you said? I don't understand your thick accent. 
Or if someone openly says only English is to be spoken in the workplace, despite the fact coworkers might be bilingual. Man, he's got more straw man arguments than uh, Barack Obama did. Good Lord, I don't know who says this stuff. I, but I guess he is, and this stuff goes on and on. Peter DaCosta, he is a, I guess he is a typical college professor these days, rambling on about that hidden racism everywhere. <sighs> Crap. New York Post article, and you know what, White Boy Mechamex, it is, well, I might as well just confess it to everyone, since I obviously, clearly, epically failed at dry January. <laughs> dryish January now, but I don't even know if that's going to remain in effect at this rate. But one of my New Year's resolutions was to just avoid the use of the word thruple, but I can't, unfortunately, because this article is too good to turn down. So here's the headline. Thruple identifies as a fairy, a troll, and a leprechaun. See what kind of freak they got going on. Three bippity-boppity-boos are living happily ever after in a land far, far away, Seattle, Washington. The thriving Thrupple, who identify as Princess Fairy Lolly, Gunther the Troll, and Ian the Leprechaun, is living out the fairy tale romance of their dreams. Spellbound by love, the three humans turned mythical creatures are building a dream haven together in their polyamorous partnership. We are in what we called a closed polycule, Princess Lolly explained on the UK show this morning. We consider ourselves a closed family unit. The more people, the more everyone's time becomes divided, and we have a really good fluid working family unit, the Queen of the Castle added. Lolly first realized she was a mythical marvel, so I guess, White Boy Malcolm X, this is uh, Lolly talking about coming out. Many years ago, as a youngling, noting fairies don't like to count or keep track of time. As an adult pixie princess, she met Ian the Leprechaun and indoctrinated him into the world of polyamory. Just the two of them in polyamory. Gunther, the six-foot-nine mountain troll, completed their charming trinity after meeting Lolly at a LARP-style gaming festival. And I have no idea what that is, but it sounds really creepy if the three of them are running around. Magically, there's no jealousy poisoning their cauldron of love. I've never gotten jealous, Gunther said. We do a lot of what we're doing as a unit and a family in everyday life and in general. And I've said the biggest thing is making sure we have that time we can get in there. Come bedtime, the three little bows sleep in separate bedrooms. We have enough bedrooms that everyone has their own bedroom. And we typically make sure there is an even division of time. We do things together until it comes to bedtime, Lolly said. Thank God they didn't describe what they were doing. I don't want to know if the three of them. We do our work throughout the day, she said. Gunther and I work together on my business, and Ian works at his super secret job, and then in the evening we all have a family dinner, and then break out usually because I'm a workaholic as a fairy. Although the thruple feels they form the perfect pas de trois, Lolly, Gunther, and Ian, listen to this white boy Malcolm X, are willing to welcome a fourth fairy queen into their fantasy fold. Sir... That has got your name written all over. Nothing says fairy queen to me like white boy Malcolm X. I think actually the only type of other person that would fit is a fairy or a very adventurous healing sort, Lolly said. We are pretty dedicated to what we do, so if you can't be dedicated with us, then it won't work in the long run. So you up for that, sir? Don't say hell no, you haven't. <laughs> Look at these three dopes.
You could be enjoying all that. Mm-mm. Well, I guess, like I always say, if you're not hurting kids or animals, like, although I can't tell if the white boy Malcolm X, if this is cultural appropriation or transphobic behavior. Well, yes, transphobic behavior. Absolutely. Because they are using transgender term of identifying as. I mean, that is for the transgender community. I think they got that trademarked or something and they're running around identifying as Prince Fairy Lolly, Gunther the Troll, and Ian the Leprechaun. I think they're mocking the transgender community with that. And they're certainly culturally appropriating if they got fairy queens running around. Okay, enough of that. Enough of that crazy. You three have fun, and if you are a fairy princess out there and you want to get in on that gig, good luck with the auditions. This is an AP story, and here's the headline. Hell to pay, arson shakes a Church of Satan community. So a Church of Satan has burned. Members of the Church of Satan are grieving the destruction of a historic Halloween house north of New York City that authorities say was set ablaze this week by an unidentified arsonist. Probably Jesus. (laughs) The historic home built in 1900... Sorry, folks, couldn't help myself. Served as an Adams Family style hub for local adherents of the religion, the Poughkeepsie Journal reports. One member of the church likened the arson to a terrorist attack. So, if it's not Jesus, folks, it's probably a white supremacist because they are everywhere. Everyone's in shock, and everyone in the neighborhood is worried. The member, who goes by the name Isis Vermouth, told the newspaper, Whoever did this is going to be hexed by all of us. They're not messing around. You see that, white boy Malcolm X, Isis Vermouth, and the rest of those Satanists hexing someone. Now there's going to be hell to pay Vermouth at it. I bet. Surveillance footage shows a man walking up to the house after 5 a.m. Thursday with two gas cans splashing liquid on the front porch and igniting it, people said. Two people escaped the house unharmed, authorities said. The home on South Clinton Street was decorated with devil sculptures. A hearse long sat in its driveway and a sign over the garage read, Devil's Garage. The exotic house served as a gathering place to celebrate Halloween and showcase the beliefs of its longtime former owner, Joe Netherworld Mendio, a Church of Satan member who died last year. It was extraordinarily different, City Councilman Chris Petras said. It wasn't your normal home. It's unlikely the home will be restored because of the extensive fire damage, said Peter H. Gilmore, high priest of the Church of Satan. Now that's a gig worth attaining. Who lives down the block in what members refer to as Poughkeepsie's Witchcraft District? So White Boy Malcolm X, they got a witchcraft district over in Poughkeepsie, New York. And I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but I feel like I'm not. Oh well. The religion is based not on devil worship, but on atheist philosophies of individualism, liberty, and self-fulfillment, Gilmore said. So, it's an atheist atheist religion, which to me, folks, sounds kind of oxymoronic. But uh, if it is an atheist philosophy, then I don't know why they call it the Church of Satan. That just... Sounds mutually exclusive to me, but I guess not in Poughkeepsie, New York, in the Witchcraft District. Well, you folks have fun with that. Hexing whoever set that fire. This is from the Philadelphia Gay News. 
So we have some news from the Philadelphia Gaberhood. And if you've been listening to the Miller Frost Show, you know, folks, that the Gaberhood is the home of systemic racism within the gay community. Because those white queens in Philadelphia are nothing but a pack of bigots. Here's the headline. Taboo settles anti-bias lawsuit for $15,000. Taboo Lounge and Sports Bar has settled a trans-related anti-bias lawsuit filed by a former Taboo employee for $15,000 while denying any wrongdoing in the matter according to documents filed December 30th in federal court. Taboo is an LGBT-oriented establishment located at 254 South 12th Street in the Gaberhood. Roe, and that's in quotes, who was transgender and non-binary, so it's one of the funky pronoun people, worked as a server at Taboo from October 2018 to December 2019. Roe filed suit against Taboo in July 2020, alleging compensation discrimination, failure to promote, hostile work environment, retaliation, and wrongful discharge. So Roe has got to be a millennial white boy Malcolm X because if they and I will use the correct pronouns, if they were only there, what, just over a year and they wanted a promotion. <laughs> Nobody does that but a millennial or a Gen Z. Where's my promotion? Roe initially requested more than $150,000 in damages, reasonable attorney's fees, a written apology from Taboo, and other remedial measures at Taboo according to the lawsuit. While accepting Taboo's $15,000 settlement offer last month, so they, they really went down in price. Rowe's attorneys expressed concern about the settlement, but indicated, I know because they were only taking home like three or four grand and they were hoping for 30 or 40, but indicated in court papers that Rowe wanted to avoid the possibility of having to pay Taboo's attorney's fees and costs if unsuccessful in the litigation. In court papers, Taboo's attorneys reiterated that the establishment isn't responsible for unlawful activity and that Rowe didn't suffer any damages. Roe suffers from gender dysphoria and claimed their condition worsened due to the alleged mistreatment at Taboo. Roe was profoundly affected by the abuses they experienced at Taboo, which exacerbated Roe's gender dysphoria, leading to severe emotional distress, Roe's lawsuit asserted. God. Now they, they sound like one of the most high-maintenance boys a bar can have. <laughs> Especially a gay bar, and all you got is a bunch of queens working there anyway, and they're high-maintenance enough, and then you've got You've got Roe rolling in there <laughs> with the gender dysphoria and the funky pronouns. And everyone's like, well, if you think the queens are bad, look at that. Roe was allegedly fired in December 2019 after gradually transitioning as a non-binary trans person. So that was going on at work, man. But in a November 9th answer to Roe's lawsuit, attorneys for Taboo indicated that Roe didn't always comply with instructions regarding timely arrivals for work. <laughs> So they were late a lot, apparently. Mm. Anyway, that is that. I'm just done. I don't want to read any more of that. Sounds like a nuisance suit. Here's your 15K. Go away and go do whatever you need to do and torture someone else. Sounds like a pain in the ass employee, if you ask me. This is the Washington Examiner story, and here's the headline. California city officials pull down, listen to this white boy Malcolm X, White Lives Matter sign says they were disgusted by this despicable act of vandalism. Can you see how hysterical they would have gotten, White Boy <laughs> How upset they would have gotten if someone had done Blue Lives Matter. Man, they would have 
had a complete meltdown. A city in California quickly removed a White Lives Matter banner that was placed on city property and labeled it racist and an act of vandalism. The city is disgusted by this despicable act of vandalism that has occurred on the heels of the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol last week, a statement from Union City officials stated, and on this weekend of the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday that celebrates the life and achievements of this important civil rights leader. The white banner with black lettering, that definitely sounds racist, was hoisted above a city intersection. It was quickly pulled down Saturday after officials became aware of its presence. This is despicable and we removed it immediately, Mayor Carol Dutra Vernassi, and Dutra Vernassi is hyphenated, said of the banner. I hope this is an isolated incident as it doesn't reflect the community of my city, said Kashmir Shahi, chairman of the Union City Human Relations Commission. And I have no doubt they're going to be doing some re-education when they catch those punks who did that. There you go. White Lives Matter is racist. Thief steals car with child in it, then lectures the mom. An Oregon carjacker, (laughs) you folks in Oregon, bless your hearts, who realized there was a young kid in the vehicle circle back to scold mom about her parenting, according to police. The bizarre episode unfolded outside a grocery store in the Portland suburb of Beaverton Saturday. So white boy Malcolm X, a Portland suburb, is still standing, has not been burned down to the ground, after the mom left her four-year-old in a booster seat inside the running car. She'd left the car unlocked when she ran in to buy a gallon of milk and some meat, according to the Oregonian. The thief happened to be walking by and hopped into the 2013 Honda Pilot and took off. So this is not, folks, a particularly discernible car thief if he's going after a 7- or 8-year-old Honda Pilot. (laughs) He apparently quickly realized he had gotten more than he bargained for. He pulled a U-turn in an adjacent parking lot and drove back to the store. Once there, the bad guy gave the mom a piece of his mind, said Beaverton Police Spokesman Officer Matt Henderson. He actually lectured the mother for leaving the child in the car and threatened to call the police on her, Henderson said. You see that? I stole this car and this stupid woman left her kid in it. You need to get her. The mom grabbed her kid on the thief's orders before he again drove off with her car, cops said. Guy didn't want the kid, but he kept that stupid 2013 Honda Pilot. So I've said a couple times on this podcast already, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, White Boy Malcolm X. I really don't care what you do or who you do it with, as long as you're not hurting kids or animals. But sometimes, folks, people do both. Unfortunately, this is from NOLA.com, so this is a Louisiana story. 36 counts of animal sex abuse for 79-year-old Metairie man shot by deputy. This guy is 79 years old, and he is doing animals. A 79-year-old Metairie man who was shot, and I'm probably mispronouncing that, and I know I'm going to get a text from the Summit Mistress, White Boy Malcolm X, about how I'm butchering whatever that town is named. Anyway, let's pick that back up. A 79-year-old Metairie man who was shot after he pointed a gun at a Jefferson Parish deputy sheriff faces 36 counts of sexual abuse of an animal, according to his arrest report. James Millett III, who was still in the hospital recovering from his injury Wednesday afternoon, has been booked on the abuse charges because of allegations that pornography in his possession involves sexual contact with animals, according to authorities. 
He was also booked with seven counts of possession of pornography involving juveniles, two counts of possession of distributional pornography involving a victim younger than 13, and aggravated assault on an officer. So this guy is screwed up six ways to Sunday. Holy crap. Millett's confrontation with deputies occurred as agents with the Louisiana Attorney General's Office sought to execute a search warrant at his Senate Drive home Tuesday morning as part of a child pornography investigation, the sheriff's office said. Though Millett's wife stepped outside when authorities knocked on the door, she told deputies her husband was still inside, said Captain Jason Rivardi, spokesperson for the sheriff's office. Can you see that white boy, Malcolm X? She's there, she answers the door, and there's the cops, and she's like, what that pervert do now? And she just walked out, go get him, go get him. When deputies entered the house and walked into one of the bedrooms, they found Millett standing there with a gun. A deputy shot Millett once in the shoulder. He was arrested and taken to the hospital for, for treatment. Man, oh man. Sicko is doing both kids, apparently, and animals at 79, white boy Malcolm X. Holy crap. Guess he doesn't want to do his wife anymore, but he will do, I don't even know what animal. God knows. It is Louisiana. They probably got a farm there with chickens and goats and whatever. Dogs and who knows what. There you go. And I am not even going to read this story. (laughs) But we had the story from... I think it was the December issue of Consumer Reports, and it was a story about racism in Consumer Reports. It was about race and photography, but they didn't actually review any photographic equipment in the article. They were just complaining about racism. Here's another one. How your race can change your medical care. So Consumer Reports has gone woke not once now, but twice. I'm not going to read that stupid thing. Drunk Florida man arrested for allegedly stealing floating tiki bar. (laughs) Leave it to a Floridian, but hey, folks, I got to admit, that is not a half bad idea, stealing one of those. A drunk Florida man, who isn't in Florida, was arrested after he was caught operating a floating tiki bar that was reportedly stolen, the U.S. Coast Guard announced. Agents from the Coast Guard's Key West station found the man on a stolen tiki hut near Hawks Channel, Off the coast of the Florida Keys, the agency wrote in a Wednesday tweet. Don't drink in boat, the tweet quit. (laughs) The man appeared intoxicated. Well, if he stole a tiki bar, you're damn straight. He tapped into that and was taken into custody by officers from Florida's Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, the Coast Guard said. And I think that's our shortest story as well. Done. Took the boat, got drunk, got arrested. This is from the Washington Blade, and here's the headline. Trans actors facing casting challenges despite milestones. Actor Elliot Page came out as transgender in December and Netflix admirably affirmed his name and pronouns on past and current work, but local gender-diverse performers still struggle against cisgender and heteronormative casting expectations. So it looks, white boy Malcolm X, as if the hetero-supremacy is back. And folks, if you don't know what the hetero-supremacy is, Probably because you're part of it. There's a cis-het person sitting behind the casting table, Sammy Noir Yunez Figueredo, good God, that is a name, told the Washington Blade during a discussion about his experience as a gay trans male actor who identifies as non-binary. Even in 2018, I had been on an audition, and I had that I was trans on my resume, and I could hear people behind the table whispering, What am I supposed to do with that, even as I am walking in? 
Baltimore area actor and firefighter Alicia Horton also found herself stuck hiding her developing breasts and wearing a really funky wig early in her transition in order to find work auditioning for cis male roles. I had to audition for Dreamgirls my junior year of college in 2011, Horton said, while soothing her dog Zudo, a pit pit bull mix she rescued from a shelter in August. I was on hormones and my hair was super long and they put in a really funky wig to try to make me look more masculine. The girls show me how to pin curl my hair so it would fit under the wig. I wish I had a picture of it. It just looks so bad. Despite the visibility and growing support for award-winning non-binary and transgender performers, including Sam Smith and Eddie Izzard to name two, Figueredo and Horton are not alone in their challenges finding affirming work and building careers since coming out. A landmark 2013 survey of more than 5,000 Screen Actor Guild's members found that while 80% of respondents agreed transgender actors should be considered for cisgender roles, the industry... Whoa, wait, White Boy Malcolm X. Did I read that right? 80% of SAG members said that they agreed that transgender actors should be considered for cisgender roles. I did read that right. Holy crap. Well, I mean, who is complaining, folks, (laughs) that... You can't have a cis actor playing a trans role. Who was that actress that just dropped out of a role because everyone went nuts about her playing a trans? They said, why can't you get a trans actor to play that role? It's a trans part. But now they're like, I guess trans can play cis, but cis can't play trans. I see how that game is played. And I thought it was bad enough when they were complaining about the gay for payrolls. Like, yes, I'm going to say it, White Boy Malcolm X. Like Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet in... And call me by your name. You know, those two playing gay for pay and people went nuts. And all these other actors, uh, Viggo Morganson was another one we had recently who was playing gay for pay. And people were, you know, complaining about that too. And now apparently the reverse is just fine. It's okay. Okay, it's fine. It's fine. Okay, you know what it is? Nobody wants to piss off a transgender. <laughs> they're mean when they're mad. I'm scared already just reading the story. Let's start that sentence back over. A landmark 2013 survey of more than 5,000 Screen Actors Guild members found that while 80% of respondents were probably terrified to say otherwise, and the other 20%, you folks are in a lot of trouble, you're going to re-education camp, agreed transgender actors should be considered for cisgender roles, the industry's economic imperative to reach a broad market could create potential risk for casting LGBT actors in roles that the viewing public may not accept. And that is, oh my God, this article, folks, goes on and on. And I am, I am done reading that. I don't know what they expect. I mean, how many, how many trans stories can you actually tell before it's like, okay, I've seen everything I can see related to a transgender coming out story or, or survival story, what have you. I mean, I just, I don't understand if, if only trans actors can play trans characters, theoretically, although trans characters apparently can play cis characters. I mean, I'm just like, to me, there's just a limited number, unless unless they're going to start doing trans quotas. So like, say, for example, the next Marvel superhero movie that all the pajama boys in the mother's basements are you know masturbating over. They just can't wait for phase four crap, whatever that is coming out soon. They're getting ready. They're like, oh, oh, a new uh, Captain Marvel. Oh. You know, they're going to have to like put a quote in there and say, folks, we can't do a Marvel a movie. The queens with clipboards are going to come back and go, I'm sorry, this film just cannot be made unless tapping that clipboard like, 
you got to have a major character who's got to be transgender because we've got to put these transgenders to work, folks. We just, oh my God, they're such a high maintenance. You thought us queens with our clipboards were high maintenance, but we got to get these trans actors some roles. So you just, I don't care. Get rid of one of these superheroes and put in super trans. <laughs> I mean, I wish them the best. Don't, don't get me wrong, folks. I, I do wish them the best. I, you know, I worked in independent film production 2000, when was that? 2004, 2005 to like 2009 is when all that went to hell. Along with my relationship and a whole bunch of other stuff. But that's a different story. <laughs> but, I mean, going into that as a, as a field is, is, is a tough road to, to travel under the best of circumstances. These people who just kind of pack up and move to Hollywood or move to New York and they want to be an actor or an actress, whatever. And they're going to go out and do it. But to do it as a trans actor where I think there would be significantly fewer roles around. Unless, of course, they do put in trans quotas. But, I mean, I, I do wish them the best. I can only imagine how hard that is. But, you know, there's just, there's only so much out there for any actor of uh, any gender or sexual orientation or what have you. That most of them fail and uh, and fail miserably. Which is, you know, not everyone can be Gwyneth Paltrow selling vaginas under candles after a long acting career. This is a post-millennial story. God, I don't even know if I want to do this. State of Illinois proposes to mandate racist books for all public school students. The state of Illinois, folks, is on a racial roll. Because was it last week, White by Malcolm X, two weeks ago, that we had a story that they want to play, even though the state of Illinois is not a slave state or a former slave state, they still want to pay those reparations. Now they want everyone, all those little crumb crunchers in Illinois, Reading racist books. The state of Illinois General Assembly has issued a bill for consideration that would, if passed, and you know it will, mandate that specific books about racism be taught in every public school in the state for the coming school year. The mandate, which would be effective immediately, would require that these books about racism be part of curriculum across the state. HB 0080, which would implement all of these requirements, was introduced by Representative Mary E. Flowers. These books include Bell Hooks's Ain't I a Woman? Black Women and Feminism, Ty Nahisi Coates's, whoever that is, memoir Between the World and Me. You know, white boy, someone's like, well, the only reason you don't know who that is is because you are a horrible racist. Racist! <laughs> anyway, between the World and Me, as well as books about hidden biases and, of course, police brutality. While the list includes storied and classic American author James Baldwin, who wrote in the mid-20th century, the curriculum mandate also has as required reading books that are recent releases. These include Ibram X. Kendi's racist screed aptly titled How to Be an Anti-Racist, as well as anti-racist activist Layla F. Said's Me and White Supremacy. Race-baiting attorney Ben Crump's open season, legalized genocide of colored people, damn, now that's a title, would also be required reading by the Illinois General Assembly for age-appropriate students. And that probably means six or seven-year-olds. Journalist, oh man, how do I pronounce this? And we just literally had an article on Sunday that says if you deliberately mispronounce someone's name, you're just being a racist. And I just Ijeoma, I-J-E-O-M-A. I'm sorry. Uh, the last name is Olohu, O-L-U-O. And if you are a male or a female or any other gender, 
and you're listening to this podcast and I just butchered your name, I'm really sorry. I'm not doing that on purpose. I have absolutely no idea how to pronounce that. And their book is So You Want to Talk About Race is also on the mandated reading list. So is Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. And if you don't know who Robin D'Angelo is, she's that chick that had a speaking gig with a black author or black speaker or whoever, and she, using white privilege, got paid more than the black person. So if anyone knows about racism and white privilege, it's Robin D'Angelo because she's got it and she used it. And this book is Racist by Tiffany Jewell, illustrated by Aurelia Durand. Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People by Rennie Edo Lodge also makes the cut of 20 nonfiction books about how white people are basically horrible oppressors who don't even know their own minds and perpetuate unwitting racism simply by existing. The push to indoctrinate students with anti-racist literature as a means to make them not racist has not been proved to be effective. Like that, like that even matters. This is especially concerning as much of what passes for anti-racist is primarily anti-white. In 2021 America, whiteness is an immutable condition that renders the afflicted person unable to overcome the biases that come from having lived their lives with pale skin. <laughs> I am not reading any more of that, although I do like the post-millennial website. They do have a lot of good stuff on there, but that is the state of Illinois. I don't even know if they can afford those books. <laughs> You're so bankrupt. This is from Madison.com. So I guess if Illinois is not bad enough for you, we're going to move a little bit north and go to Wisconsin. And speaking of stolen cars, man arrested after finding his stolen car shooting at people in it on Park Street, Madison police. <laughs> so, unlike the woman, she at least got her kid back, but this guy finds his car and starts shooting a gun at it. A man was arrested after finding his stolen car and shooting at the people in it on Park Street on Tuesday night, Madison police reported. About 6.15 p.m., officers were dispatched to a report of shots fired at PLS check cashing. It's a liquor store or a check cashing store, folks. That's where this kind of fun starts. At 1907 South Park Street, Lieutenant Eugene Whirl said in a report, a 30-year-old Madison man saw his stolen car at the scene. I hope it wasn't a 2013 Honda Pilot. Confronted the people in the vehicle and the person in the driver's seat drew a handgun from their waistband, Whirl said. The owner of the stolen vehicle fled back to the car he was driving. I wonder if that was stolen and got a gun from the center console and fired multiple shots at the stolen car as it fled the parking lot through the terrace, over the sidewalk, and through the median, Rural said. No injuries were reported as a result of the shooting. Can you imagine, White Boy Mac Max, you're, there's your car, and you're shooting at your own car, and they are just driving over everything, trashing it in the process of getting away. The stolen car was not recovered, and it is unknown who is in possession of it. The shooter was arrested on tentative charges of first-degree recklessly endangering safety and carrying a concealed weapon without a permit. Now that actually could be a good Florida story. Man, oh man, you people in Wisconsin, having fun. And what's next? Jesus Christmas, white boy Malcolm X. How, how did a Vox article get in my pile? White women's role in white supremacy explained. 
Man, I tell you what, it is beat up on whitey time. And we just had the article, I don't know, two weeks ago. They're beating up on whitey LGBTQ+. <laughs> they were telling about all the white people in the LGBTQ plus community that were racist. <laughs> Not just those those white queens in Philadelphia. They were like throwing all of us under the bus. White boy Malcolm X, me and everyone else. All of us were getting thrown under the bus in the LGBTQ plus community. But I guess white women now. They're getting their due now, too. And God knows how Vox is going to do that, but let's find out. But I'll tell you what, folks. This article, typical Vox, they just rant and rave for page after page after page. We ain't going that far. It's tempting to think of the storming of the U.S. Capitol on Wednesday as toxic masculinity run amok. A mob of mostly white men carrying guns and wearing animal skins trying to overthrow democracy on behalf of a president who once bragged about his ability to grab women by the pussy. It's even more tempting to embrace this narrative when, in a bizarre statement, that president's campaign press secretary describes him as the most masculine person I think to ever hold the White House. But focusing too much on masculinity obscures a crucial truth. Many women were either present at the riot or cheering on the insurrectionists from back home. There was Ashley Babbitt, the 35-year-old Air Force veteran and apparent devotee of QAnon ideology, who was killed during the riot. There was the woman photographed with zip-tie guy Eric Munchell, now believed to be his mother. There was Martha Chansley, the mother of the widely photographed QAnon shaman who wore a horned hat and carried a spear to Congress. She wasn't present at the riot, but later defended her son in an interview, calling him a great patriot, a veteran, a person who loves his country. White women have been part of the white supremacy in America. And I warned you folks, this is a Vox article. Since the very beginning, experts point out, dating back to their role in slavery. They were at the table when the system was designed. Stephanie Jones Rogers, a history professor at UC Berkeley and author of the book, They Were Her Property, White Women as Slave Owners in the American South Told Vox. They were co-architects of the system. That remained true after the Civil War, through the birth and evolution of the Ku Klux Klan, and during the Civil Rights Movement when white women were some of the most vocal opponents of school integration. And it remains true today when women hold a key role in spreading QAnon ideology and sustaining white nationalist groups and movements. Like other parts of our economy and society, these movements would collapse without their labor. Seward Darby, author of Sisters in Hate, American Women on the Front Lines of White Nationalism, told Vox. Good Lord. You white women out there, going to keep an eye on you. Like I said, I'm not reading all this, but let's just kind of wrap it up with the last couple paragraphs. Despite the participation of Babbitt and others, there's been a tendency to view the riot as largely male-dominated and indeed to erase the presence of women in white supremacy throughout history. There has been a tendency from the colonial period to the present to frame and position white women as perpetual victims, in spite of the evidence to the contrary, Jones Rogers said. But ignoring the fact that women have long been perpetrators of white supremacy, up to and including violence, will hamper any effort to truly fight it. When we discount these women and the often violent and brutal roles that these women play, Jones Rogers said, we neglect and we negate the impact of their activities have on their victims. If, by contrast, we as a society can reckon with the way that white women have not just been beneficiaries, 
but designers of the system of white supremacy, she said, we will be better able to dismantle the system and to address the ways in which the system has really pervaded our lives. Man, oh man, you white women out there. I knew you were trouble, but I didn't know it was this much trouble. And folks, just for the record, this was written by Anna North. And if you don't know who Anna North is, she is a hysterical, hysterical white millennial woman. (laughs) Leave it to a dopey, hysterical millennial white woman to write an article about how racist white women are out there. Man. This is from Mail Online. And here's the headline. Teenager, 18, told she can have gender swap drugs after one hour long Zoom meeting. (laughs) You too can become transgender in an hour. Parents and campaigners who are no doubt transphobic have expressed concern over a private gender clinic that gives the go-ahead to teenagers to get sex change drugs after as little as an hour. One mother claimed her 18-year-old son was told he was eligible for transgender or cross-dress hormones after a single consultation lasting just 55 minutes. Another said that her 18-year-old daughter was given a referral to get gender-changing medication after a 90-minute video call. Both teenagers were given the hormones after being assessed by consultant psychiatrist Dr. Stuart Lorimore at his gender care center in Mayfair, London. The treatment delivers estrogen or testosterone to begin the physical process of transitioning to live as the opposite sex. There is no suggestion that Dr. Lorimore or Gender Care, which sees individuals from the age of 18 and charges up to 300 pounds per appointment, have contravened any medical guidelines. But parents and campaigners, again, who are probably transphobic, are concerned by the speed at which drugs that can have serious health risks including blood clots, strokes, and infertility, are being prescribed to potentially vulnerable young people. They argue that one appointment is insufficient to diagnose gender dysphoria, a mismatch between a person's birth sex and the gender they feel they are. And there are seven genders, folks, don't forget. One mother told the Mail on Sunday that she complained to Dr. Lorimore after her son, who had just turned 18, received an estrogen prescription to the post following a 55-minute assessment. The whole thing was utterly horrifying. I know this woman's a transphobe. The appointment lasted for less than an hour because Dr. Lorimer felt they had covered all they needed to cover, although I felt they had barely touched the surface in that time, she said. My husband and I were extremely worried that what we thought was an exploratory chat has resulted in him taking life-changing, sterilizing medication. We feel extremely concerned that he was rushed into this too fast. Another mother in the Southeast claims her 18-year-old daughter was referred for cross-sex hormones after one video Zoom call. The woman said, I was so shocked and taken aback that she had been prescribed hormones after one session. I neither thought she had meaningful therapy nor enough life experience to take a course of action that is irredeemable. Man, and this goes on, folks. And this to me is not surprising in in the least. And if you're surprised, you need to get with the times because that is just the way things roll now. You wake up one day and you think you are another gender. You can just get a Zoom call and get that estrogen or get that testosterone and get that process underway. And this reminds me, white boy Malcolm X, of 
Remember when we were in Colorado and they at the time, now anything goes in Colorado these days, folks, and you can get weed. I don't know. They probably have it delivered to you if you want 24-7. But back in the day, back when I first started living there, that's when they passed medical marijuana. And so you had to have a doctor's prescription for your for your medical marijuana. And you had to go into the doctor and you go to some quack doctor and he would just kind of write your prescription. Whatever. Oh, here you go. Oh, you got this. Here you go. Here's your prescription. I don't know anyone that ever got turned down for anything related to medical marijuana. They were writing those prescriptions just left and right. That's what kind of reminds me of. I actually, I actually knew someone, not a friend, but just someone I knew. And they got a prescription for medical marijuana because they hurt their pinky like five years prior. And they said they had chronic pain associated with, I don't know, jamming their pinky or something. It was, it was just BS. And they sold that thing in Colorado as, you know, cancer patients need this. And other, other patients of other ailments need this medication to, to help, you know, stimulate their appetite and all this other stuff. And it wound up being mostly just a bunch of dopehead kids with fake injuries or marginal injuries. It's getting pot. From the from the doctor, there you go. Go get your estrogen, you folks in in London or England. This is a Daily Wire story, and man, oh man, you guys out there! I know the women, especially you white women out there, a bunch of racists, but you men out there got a thing for showing off your junk. So we had John Weaver of the Lincoln Project sending pictures of his 61-year-old junk to 19-year-old boys up to 28-year-old young men. We had the Mets general manager, uh, Jared Porter, who was fired for sending his junk to a female reporter. That was yesterday. And now here's this NAACP later, legislator text teen photo of genitals, allegedly sexually harassed her. I thought I was texting my wife. <laughs> Goodness. I can only imagine that marriage. If she was expecting that. Now, if she wasn't expecting that, that was a surprise for whoever got it. A legislator in Monroe County, New York, admitted Saturday to sending a picture of his genitals to a 19-year-old woman he was working with after she accused him of sexual harassment on the day he was sworn in as president of a New York chapter of the NAACP. Monroe County legislator Ernest Flagler Mitchell, and Flagler Mitchell is hyphenated, defended himself by citing his faith in God and claiming he intended to send the photo of his genitals to his wife. He also claimed without evidence that he is being blackmailed over the incident because of his work for minority communities. So, folks... He brought God into it, he brought his wife into it, and he brought his race into it. He dragged out the race card on this one. <laughs> All over a picture of his junk. In a letter to Monroe County legislators, Lakaya Sinclair called for Flagler Mitchell's resignation and suggested there are other victims of the legislators' predatory behavior. So those penis pictures, folks, could be everywhere up in there in New York. The legislator met Sinclair following a devastating shooting last year, offering up his contact information if the young girl ever needed help. I bet he did. I am writing this letter to share with you that your colleague, County Legislator for Legislative District 29, Ernest Flagler Mitchell, has explicitly sexually harassed me and sent me an unsolicited photo of his genital, Sinclair wrote, and it was just one genital she wrote about. I am writing this so that you are all aware of the type of person he is, Sinclair said. I am going public and will be asking for his resignation. 
No one should be in a position where they turn to their elected official for help and are met with unwanted sexual advances and inappropriate messages. I am only 19 years old. Goodness. Goodness. Another 19-year-old getting a junk picture. In a statement admitting that he sent the photo, Flagler Mitchell fashioned himself the victim of extortion without providing evidence. As a man of faith, I believe that we must all take responsibility for our actions and have always tried to do that both in my personal and professional life. The statement opened. In November, I sent a picture intended for my wife. <laughs> Dude, and can you imagine being the wife, white boy Malcolm X? And she's probably like, number one, that's just a flat out lie, right? <laughs> he had no intention of sending that to his wife. But even if he did, now everyone knows that she just likes to see pictures of his junk texted to her. You people on your damn cell phones. <laughs> What a hot mess. Anyway, picking back up. In November, I sent a picture intended for my wife to an individual I was working with. I took immediate responsibility for my mistake. I deleted the file, acknowledged the mistake, apologized, and hoped I had not offended them. They responded at the time by accepting my apology and assured me that they were not offended. Additionally, I immediately took responsibility for what had occurred with my wife by telling her what had happened. (laughs) You sent my penis picture where... A 19-year-old asshole. And I regret that she is now embarrassed by my error. You can say that again. Enough of that. This this goes on. I don't need to hear any more about Ernest Flagler Mitchell's penis. Floating around on the interwebs onto people's cell phones. I only picked this story. Oh, we're almost done. Wipe out Malcolm X. Two stories left. And this story is only for our summit mistress. Ripped. Personal trainer got jacked through vegan diet. This beefy Argentine swears by a plant-based diet. And my boy, Michael Max, look at this stud. I know. I know. That's not too bad, I have to say. If that's vegan, hmm, might have to rethink that. Going vegan left me feeling more aerodynamic, stronger, and less bloated. Thomas Jessen, 28, a personal trainer based in Buenos Aires told Jam Press. The tatted-up gym rat calls himself an accidental vegan, revealing his diet used to consist of about 500 grams a day of beef, chicken, and fish, along with six whole eggs, bananas, and whey protein. But since his doctor suggested going plant-based for a few weeks to combat some gastrointestinal issues he was having, Jensen has now sworn off animal products for good. That was four years ago. Now he chows down on ugh, tofu with broccoli and tomatoes, ahi bowls and dates instead of poultry and eggs. I can't eat any of that crap, so screw that vegan stuff. He's charting his plant-based journey on, uh-oh, white boy Malcolm X, Instagram. You can go look at that hot stud on Instagram, where he posts plenty of pictures showing off his toned physique and vegan meals for his nearly 11,000 followers. And make that 11,001 after White Boy Malcolm X logs onto his phone. He said he's seen clients adopt his clean eating lifestyle too. I've had some clients who have continued with the vegan lifestyle even after finishing their training with me, he said. In one shirtless selfie showing off his washboard abs and buff biceps. And for you queens out there, he really does have washboard abs and buff biceps. I will give him that. Jessen hints that he might start an OnlyFans account and use the proceeds to donate for the animal shelters and a bit for vegan protein powder. It could be like Daniel Newman 
White Boy Malcolm X, become our OnlyFans. And if you folks are like, Miller, who the hell is Daniel Newman? That's a ginger queen. That was on Walking Dead. They killed him off because he was a secondary character, but he's on, uh, I guess he needs to get paid now because he ain't got a career left in acting. So he is on OnlyFans. You can go check him out. And um, he's actually a good-looking man for 40. I mean, I think he's close to 40, but Daniel Newman. If you're a queen out there and you're like, hmm, I'd like to see me a middle-aged hot ginger queen on OnlyFans. He's there. Go, go to it. He also urges fans to go vegan and claims in the post to have gained 15 pounds after three months of bulking on vegan. Who who knew, folks? There you go. And this, folks, is our smoking gun story out of North Dakota. And here is the headline, do as my t-shirt says, not as I do. And I'm just warning you, folks, it ain't Bud Light Mike. A North Dakota man, and what by Malcolm X, before I even get started on this, how many people are even in North Dakota to cause trouble? Because we've had a number of stories now. People up in North Dakota causing trouble, and I figure there are only like ten or 12,000 people up there, but <laughs> no. it can't be too many people. It's North Dakota, but apparently there's enough, and they're enough causing trouble that they're, uh, they're making the news and they're making the Miller Frost show. Anyway, a North Dakota man on probation for narcotics possession was wearing a Don't Do Drugs t-shirt when he was arrested yesterday for methamphetamine possession. <laughs> He's into the meth, folks. Look at this. Look at this dope white boy, Malcolm X. Look at, his, look at him in this t-shirt. <laughs> Bless his heart indeed. I agree with you, sir. Esquiel Robles, 40. My God, he looks... He looks like a meth junkie who has consumed a six-pack of Tallboy PBRs in the process, was collared following a traffic stop in Williston. A search of his vehicle turned up a baggie containing meth and a spoon with meth residue, according to a probable cause affidavit filed in district court. Charged with narcotics possession and possession of drug paraphernalia, Robles was booked into the Williams County Jail where the above photo was snapped. Robles was convicted in late 2019 for meth possession, so he is hooked on the good stuff and was sentenced to three years in prison, two of which were suspended and placed on two years probation upon his departure from custody. So, Esquiel Robles, if you are listening to this podcast of The Miller Frost Show, if I can give you a piece of unsolicited advice, if you are going to stay hooked on the meth, two things. Number one, just do like my ex did. That's not my meth. I have no idea who's... <laughs> you could do that which everyone will know is a lie because you're a meth junkie. And the other thing is, I would go down to Florida if you're going to do that kind of crap because I guarantee you, everything in Florida is a misdemeanor. <laughs> so carrying around meth, I'm like, oh, God, community service. Just, you know, two weeks. Just show up at the clinic and you're done. You're fine. <laughs> so. Man, oh, man. He likes the good stuff. And that is done. We're out of here on a Wednesday. So I guess... By the time we wrap this dumpster fire of a podcast up, we begin this dumpster fire of the Biden-Harris administration. God help us, White Boy Malcolm X. We can take our phones off of airplane mode and let the crying begin when the text messages start coming through. Why? Why has it happened? Anyway, thank you so much, folks, for joining our midweek broadcast of the Miller Frost Show. I hope you had a great time today. Uh, we will be back here on on Sunday for yet another edition. Do you know why, Boy Malcolm X? I completely forgot to tell you. Sunday was our our thirtieth episode. This is our thirty first podcast of the show. I can't believe we've done thirty one of these puppies and thirty two if you count 
well, I wouldn't call it a best of, but a compilation of different stories from different podcasts from the first couple of months of shows. But this is, uh, we're getting up there. Before you know it, we're going to be like at uh, at 50 or something, then 100, and then keep going on. And if you're enjoying these podcasts, keep on keep on coming back. We love having you here in the audience, especially my friends in Florida, <laughs> who again, have not sent me any death threats yet. They're such good souls down there for putting up with my good sense of humor. Anyway, hey, have a great rest of your week, even if it is the Biden-Harris administration. Have a great start to your weekend, and we will see you back here on Sunday. Take care. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 